Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that finds the simplicity in the complicated when talking about cars and transport. I'm David Brown. This program and extended segments of the feature interview, road test and panel discussion are also available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And in this program, we look at news stories from around the world, including Australia's best cars of 2014. In our feature interview, we talk about three new new Mercedes cars that are just on the market. And we look at the new Ford Falcon, the last of the line. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we ask the question, would you pay over $950,000 for a number plate? Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. The Motoring Clubs of Australia have picked their best cars of 2014 and the Volkswagen Group has won five of the 15 categories with their Golf, Golf GTI, Touareg, Audi A3 and Skoda Octavia. Mercedes won two categories with their C-Class and their hot version of the A-Class, the 45 AMG. The clubs now include a new category of microcars to recognise their growing popularity. This year's winner was the Mitsubishi Mirage. They have also changed a category from people movers to family wagons. This year won by the Citroen Grand C4 Picasso. The best large car under $70,000 was won by the Holden Commodore, although the judging would have been before the release of the new Ford Falcon. In 2015, Toyota will be selling some models in Japan with vehicle-to-vehicle and vehicle-to-infrastructure communication. Vehicle-to-vehicle communication allows cars to pass information to other vehicles, such as dangerous road conditions. The receiving vehicle can give a warning to the driver. Vehicle-to-infrastructure communication is where cars can get information from surrounding infrastructure, such as traffic lights. At intersections with poor visibility, information about oncoming vehicles and pedestrians detected by sensors above the road will be conveyed via road-to-vehicle communication, and information about approaching vehicles will be conveyed via vehicle-to-vehicle communication with audio and visual alerts warning drivers when necessary. And while talking about Toyota, the company will begin to test its autonomous cars on public roads in December. In 2013, Toyota demonstrated the automated highway driving assist technology, which controlled the car while it was on a motorway standard road. This enabled the vehicle to go around a curve on the Shuto Expressway while keeping to the lane, but it requires the driver to manually switch lanes and enter the main roadway. Now the new test vehicle is equipped with six laser radar devices, using near-infrared light on the front and rear sides and using higher accuracy map data. With the laser radar devices, which enable 360-degree monitoring, in addition to milliwave radar devices and stereo cameras, the vehicle can now autonomously pass through an electronic toll collection gate, enter the main road while keeping to the lane and switching lanes to exit the expressway. 
Two former Honda senior executives have called on the current CEO, Takanobu Ito, this year, urging him to focus more on quality issues, increasing the pressure he's already under from US regulators and politicians over mass airbag recalls. Honda has recalled some 9.5 million cars of various models since 2008 for potentially defective airbag inflators made by Takata Corporation. It has also had five recalls on the hybrid version of its Fit subcompact car and Vessel crossover utility vehicle since their launch just last year, and five recalls on the Super Cub utility motorbike since 2011. As cars have become less mechanical and more technical, and quality is seen as a given, the focus has shifted to who can offer buyers more car at an affordable price. That has prompted car makers like Honda to focus on core technology such as hybrid propulsion and hydrogen fuel cells. Transport planners have spent a huge amount of time trying to understand the trips made on a typical day on the network. But what happens to our travel patterns when there is a disaster and how do we measure that? When Hurricane Sandy's 14-foot storm surge slammed into New York City in 2012, more than 1.5 million households immediately lost power. Some nine of the 14 subway tunnels under the city's rivers flooded and the subway remained closed for days. Now, two researchers have studied a huge amount of Twitter data to quantify how human mobility patterns changed in the immediate wake of the storm. They mapped each individual's unique mobility trajectory, or the amount of distance crossed between one tweet and another. Surprisingly, trips returned to normal within a day or so of the catastrophe. Authorities in Dubai are offering people a chance to win gold if they leave their cars at home and take public transport. Travellers can win nearly four kilograms of gold as part of the Emirates' Public Transport Day, the Gulf News reports. The oil-rich city has huge traffic problems and one of the highest rates of car ownership in the world, with 2.3 cars per family on average. Only 13% of Dubai residents use public transport. And that has been the news. I had a drive of three new Mercedes models the other day. They ranged from the practical to the frugal and onto the sporty exotic. To give us some background on these cars, I have on the line Mercedes Senior Executive for Public Relations, Product and Corporate Communications, David McCarthy. David, thanks very much for your time. Pleasure, David. Now, let's start with the practical, the C-Class Mercedes Estate. Now, I'm not allowed to call it a station wagon, am I? Oh, look, if you buy one, David, you can call it whatever you want. Now, station wagons, are they an important part of the sales pitch? Look, they are. In the previous generation car, we did quite well with it. And what we're actually seeing is a, is a little bit of a trend. With our E-Class Estate, we, we, we did quite nicely. And C-Class Estate, I think we will too. It's uh, a lot of the time people will come in to buy an SUV and they'll look at that and then they'll look at... Uh, Previously, and obviously with the new one, with C-Class Estate or an E-Class Estate, 
and they'll think, oh, okay. So in terms of, of load carrying ability, it's not that far off an SUV. The E-Class Estate is a seven-seat. It has those two rear-facing seats right at the back. But it's everything that we love about the C-Class sedan is duplicated in the estate. So it's a very, very dynamic car. Great ride, great range of engines, and uh, has the added versatility of, of being in the state. So you can fold the seat 40, 20, or 40. So the middle you can actually fold down so you can still carry a passenger each side. You know, so if you've got a very, you know, got some very long skis or fishing rods or curtain rods or whatever, you can use that. So something tall and thin can fit between the two seats. That's very practical. Now, of course, an SUV comes with a little bit of disadvantages that it is taller and perhaps doesn't handle as well as a normal sedan-type vehicle. Correct. And, um, you know, whilst all SUVs, not not, not least ours, uh, do handle very well, there is a a passenger car experience, uh, certainly, you know, I prefer personally, and, uh, you know, feedback from buyers is they actually like a choice. I like to say you have the choice of luxury or the luxury of choice. <laughs> <laughs> now, full range with most of the engines, but you won't have the hybrid with the estate version, will you? No, look, unfortunately, I, uh, I would like it, but let's see. Let's see how the hybrid sedan goes, but we currently have a 200 petrol a 250 petrol and a 250 diesel. We will have a, a 200 diesel in about March, April next year. Mm. Uh, but there isn't uh, the hybrid currently, and there will be, of course, later next year, probably mid-year, there'll be the AMG version, the C63 estate. <laughs> so if, if you want a bit more power, David, 375 kilowatts should do it. <laughs> that's not just a bit more power, that's quite a lot for what is classified as a medium-sized car in the Australian market. But talking about the hybrid in the sedan, which I drove, it was a big surprise. Not that the others were bad, it's just that the hybrid in sports mode had some really great response to it, pickup with thro- throttle response. Now, it's an unusual hybrid in that the fuel engine is a diesel motor. It is. Most hybrids in Australia are petrol engines and uh, with, with an electric engine, electric motor. This is a diesel, and the advantage of that is you're already a bit ahead of the game in terms of fuel consumption. Hmm. Um, the electric assistance that the hybrid provides, certainly at, very, at low speeds around town, it will drive on electric power, but also when you need extra power, the electric engine will assist the diesel engine. So... Whilst the petrol engine has 155 kilowatts and uh, 500 newton metres, the electric motor, I think, is about 25 kilowatts, but 250 newton metres. So whilst you don't get 750 newton metres, because obviously you can't use all of it, but you do get an added boost when you're wanting to. And one of the great things about this, we call it sailing. When you're on the highway or or on a flat road on a light throttle, the system might decide, well, you actually don't need the engine on and it will use electric power to power the car. Hmm. And uh, the car itself is rated at around four litres per 100 kilometres. Um, and that is very achievable in, in everyday use. And it has twin turbos on the diesel engine, which, along with the electric motor, would reduce the amount of turbo lag that the vehicle might have? It does, yeah. And 
Torque is available very, very down, very down low, uh, around a thousand RPM from start, full torque. And uh, personally, I prefer the diesel driving experience. I like that torque, particularly with modern traffic conditions. Mm. But having the ability to assist that torque with the electric motor, or to actually just run on purely electric, it has a range of a couple of kilometres maximum, depending on conditions, just on electric power. But it is the best of both worlds. David, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. A pleasure, David. And that was David McCarthy, the Senior Manager for Public Relations, Product and Corporate Communications for Mercedes Australia. And you can hear a longer interview with David, including the SL Sports Car, by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. The last hurrah, the last significant upgrade of the Ford Falcon before it is assigned to the graveyard in October 2016 has been released onto the Australian market. A few tweaks to its driving performance and a lot of features for each model. Let's get a brief review and some reflections on the history of the car from Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. Brent, you've been to the launch. It's not an insignificant upgrade, is it? David, it's what most would call a major facelift uh, if the car was going to live on into in, in automotive perpetuity. They've spent um, about a hundred five, one hundred three, I think, a million was the official figure. And yeah, they've they've done a very good job of it. The uh, model realignment, lots of extra equipment, brought one back, killed one off. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. And yes, the sad fact is that we're going to going to enjoy this car for just a little less than two years. I think the looks are good. Um, someone once said the Commodore looks like a blown-up Hot Wheels car with the flared guard. <laughs> like I, it. I, I think that the new Falcon looks a more, and I say it as a positive, a mature luxury car. It looks, uh, you know, like it's not just a sort of a tacky sort of general runabout. It's got a nice sort of look about it, particularly from the front. You're right. It, it, it is a um, less ostentatious car, and that's not really a bad thing, you're right. Uh, it, it all hangs off that new trapezoidal grill, grill, which I have to say really, really suits the Falcon. And then, yeah. then the designers have been able to play with things like you know, different headlights depending on the model, um, uh, underbody spoilers and that sort of thing, under bumper spoilers I should say. And yes, the, the, the car puts a really, really solid look forward and, and finishes very nicely down the sides. It, it's, hard, it's hard to say that this car actually it goes back to that horrid AU Falcon from about a decade ago that everybody basically turned their, turned their noses up at. Oh, yeah, that, that was, uh, I think, one of the great failures of all design. The back looks uh, of the new car looks a little Saab-like, I thought. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I mean, I, I hadn't given it that much thought other than the fact that it, it does look very clean, very aero. Yeah. Uh, fuel consumption improvements? 
a slightly improved responsiveness at the wheel, I believe. Yeah, the, they've, they've fitted a new gearbox, and we won't go ahead with all sorts of numbers, but it's a six-speed ZF transmission, and yes, the improvements are there. Look, they're not huge gains in fuel cons- uh, improvements in fuel consumption. You're probably talking about you know, half a litre per 100 kilometres, that sort of thing. But nevertheless, it's a gain, and, and the car doesn't lose anything from it. Mm, yeah, I think they've got to better uh, drag resistance and low low resistant tyres. I think are part of it. But uh, uh, and I think basically you get the features for the model for the price of the previous model above. Well, in, in other words, a lot of the features have sort of come down to the previous uh, uh, models, one down, but without a price increase. Well, David, it probably goes a little further than that, in fact, because they've, they've killed off um, one model and brought in two others, the, and, and for once we have the Falcon, the regular Falcon back. No Gs, yeah. no Es, no nothing, no, no pack drill. But, but what they've done is they've pulled something like, or well, between $1,350 and almost $10,000 out of the pricing, depending on, on what car you want. And also, too, the performance folks will love this. The XR8 is back in the Falcon model line for the first time in uh, about five years, and it's got a price that won't actually have people gasping and falling over. It comes in at about fifty-two, fifty-three thousand $53,000. Yeah. yeah, you're getting a, lot, a good bang for your buck, particularly with the XR8, of course. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you can get straight into the regular... Um, Petrol Falcon for thirty five thousand nine hundred, which is one thousand three hundred and thirty five dollars cheaper than what the let me get it right the G six which is no longer with us would have been. Hmm. So yeah, yeah look, there's, uh, there's savings right through the range. Yeah, they're certainly pushing rather hard. The Falcons had a great role in the history. The you ought to reflect on now that it's uh, on its way out. The XK first released in September 1960. Uh, it actually had the problem that it wasn't well suited to a, Australian conditions and they had to Australianise the suspension and things quite a lot, didn't they? Yeah, look, it was a North American car built in Canada and, and you're right, it had it had the North American suspension. Uh, it, was, it was, you know, custard soft, basically. And yes, uh, <laughs> it... it <laughs> It, it, it did take uh, a, a major rework, and it took Ford a long time to get over that. It, it was well into the 60s, probably 66, 67, uh, the, the launch of the XR, in fact, um, until before Ford actually got over that whole um, stigma of the first cars. Brent, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. David, it's always my pleasure. That's Brett Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury talking about The Last of the Falcons. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. And it's time for some discussion on the more lighter subjects to do with motoring and transport. And this week, just on his own, I'm joined by Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Just before we go, a listener rang in, John, and he said uh, he came travelling behind a street sweeper the other day and it had a sticker on the back and it said, Beware, the driver has his mind in the gutter. (laughs) I thought that was rather good. It is clever. (laughs) 
Still, now here's another story, uh, Brian, and it's about the Los Angeles Motor Show. A range of cars, uh, Los Angeles being California, of course, in the state of, the state of California. It has uh, a lot of sensible cars. The Prius is uh, there in big numbers. But it does also have the other extreme to it. And at the Motor Show, the Los Angeles Motor Show this year, they had a Range Rover by Holland and Holland. And those in the know will know that it's the name of a famous British gunmaker. Now, it's just like a regular Range Rover, but every one of the boxes for options have been ticked. It's got all the features in it, including a leather gun case in the boot. Is this the sort of thing we ought to be encouraging uh, in buying a car, Brian? Well, I guess, David, at least it's not an ESCII. <laughs> <laughs> at least, yeah, drinking and driving is probably the number one. I think um, carrying guns in the vehicle in a gun case, at least the gun case appears to be in the boot. I think uh, yes. it's a little more risky. So, uh, And they're shotguns that are, are more akin to, um, you know, shooting, rough shooting in the sort of English woods for pheasants and the like than, than uh, kind of uh, holding it sideways out of the window as you drive past a homie's house. Um, but, David, yeah, I don't like this association of uh, everything about guns in America. It's, uh, I find it quite ridiculous, but I'm, I'm glad it's not coming here. Only 40 are being made, David. It's mm. something like $300,000 and we won't be getting them here. I wonder uh, if it's bulletproof. That would be possibly more useful. <laughs> Yes, it's not a gun. It's the case, it's isn't it? You the have to supply your own guns, which is never going to be a problem in the States. Yeah, they, that's right. They're very quick to point it out, but why? Surely the point is that people are going to put guns in the box. Why else do you buy Well, it? the question, if I'm buying the Holland and Holland Range Rover, why am I not getting the Holland and Holland guns? I mean, it would be a travesty if you put a pair of Purdy 10-gauge in there. <laughs> no. Uh, to get the guns, there's much pressure for you to have checks, although the gun lobby doesn't want that, of course. But maybe you could have screening checks if you buy a car with a gun case in it. Oh, or a one-stop shop, David, where you get the gun licence and the car licence at the same time. You know, you could save a lot of mucking around. Combine the test, so the reverse <laughs> park and skeet. <laughs> David, the three-point turn and sort of drive-by <laughs> shooting. <laughs> the fast getaway yeah. sort of, a kind of you know where you sort of lean back to reverse that could be more like the sort of uh, cowering cowering on the yeah. floor you know you actually take it all the way <laughs> someone's returning fire and what, what are the questions uh, have you been convicted of being a fel- of a felony you belong do you belong to the Ku Klux Klan do you vote for George or did you vote for George W. Bush? No, no, sorry, that's an intelligence <laughs> test, isn't it? The other one might be, David, uh, membership of clubs. It could become the NRAAA, <laughs> yes. so the National what? Rifles as- as- and Automobile Association of America. Yeah, my car broke down and the, gu- and the guns jammed. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and you said a gunsmith yeah, and a mechanic, or combined yeah. mechanic and gunsmith. I can see here's your problem here, sir. You know, you need new safety. Big job. Get it in on Thursday. <laughs> I happen to know a guy who'll do it for you on the cheap. <laughs> and, of course, you then get, if uh, your gun is broken down, you can get a replacement. You know, like the, the courtesy, a courtesy gun. It'd have a sticker on it, though, wouldn't it, David? And it wouldn't be just as, it wouldn't be the best gun that you had. You'd be a bit ashamed of, of being seen with the courtesy gun. <laughs> 
<laughs> as long as it doesn't backfire. <laughs> that gives you new meaning, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and get the 25-year service, you know, long, long membership service. Mm-hmm. And, and then the driver testers have given up on the uh, emergency braking signal of whacking the front of the car. They found that was uh, making people <laughs> nervous and <laughs> leading to gunfire inside the car. Oh yeah, he he has one of those little streamer things that he holds down low and pulls it. It goes bang, bang. and tests your reaction. <laughs> ah. Now, Brian, you have a story for us. Certainly, David. A um, a Ferrari owning classic car dealer has set a new record for a vanity plate. Um, in the UK, he paid five hundred and eighteen thousand. Pounds, which is equivalent to about nine hundred and sixty odd thousand Australian dollars, um, for the number plate two five O. So not two fifty the numbers, but uh, two five and an O, um, which he plans to put on his uh, Ferrari two fifty, which he owns. So uh, this this actually smashed the record that that had previously been set. Um, the bidding started at just four thousand pound, but uh, they were expecting. Um, the, uh, the sorry, the reserve was four thousand pound. They were expecting a lot of interest. The bidding started at fifty thousand, and soon shot up. And so John Collins is the fellow. He's uh, he owns a Ferrari dealership in Berkshire and collects cars. And yeah, so he spent um, yes a lot of money on number plates that day. He also spent one hundred and thirty thousand pounds on the number plate two fifty L for his Ferrari two fifty Lusso, and three thousand pounds for five hundred FER for uh, another Ferrari owns. David, um, it wasn't the vanity plate I was expecting. <laughs> what were you expecting, Something Brian? like wanker, I think. <laughs> think of the range of cars he could he afford could have bought, for that. He could have bought several cars for that, or he could have bought a, another classic car himself. I mean, uh, good, amazing Ferraris will go for, for millions of pounds. You know, um, you know, he's he's putting the the two fifty L number plate on a two point two five million pound, which is probably you know about five million Australian dollars, um, on his Ferrari two fifty. So, I mean, these things go for a lot of money. Um, still, it's a, it's a ridiculous amount of money to pay for a number plate that isn't even a two fifty. It's a it's got I, a, I, the letters I, O in it. And you can hear more of that item and other quirky news stories by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And Brian, that's it for this week. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, David. And that's Brian Smith, and we've been talking some unusual stories in the wonderful world of motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Now, if you would like to hear extended segments of the show or past episodes, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.